Kislev, yclept as the Tsardom of Kislev, also recognized as the realm of the Ice Queen, and to the Kislevites themselves as the motherland, is the most northerly abode of civilized humankind within the Old World. From the eastern world's edge mountains to the western sea of claws, Kislev standeth at the veritable frontier of human civilization in the Old World, a terrain bedecked in wide-open steppes and roaring icy rivers, where remote hamlets exist in isolated seclusion amidst the barren wilderness, whilst towering cities arise from the vista like grand isles of stone. The climate is harsh and uncompromising, and only the stoutest and most resolute folk may subsist within this land. Indeed, Kislev is a mighty ally to us in the Empire, and our northern brother-in-arms looks upon us favourably also. But where did it all begin? Good evening, citizens of the Empire. This evening we will be covering the history of Kislev. Much of the origin of this indomitable land are but stories of legend, and finding verifiable evidence has proven a fool's errand. Many of the people of Kislev were as belligerent as a drunk middenlander during my research, no offence intended to either party. When asked for proof of these various tales, I was met with the reply, quote, As it has been under the sky, the exact meaning of which I have not been able to discern. As with many tribal origin stories, there is a certain amount of pomp, more than a little exaggeration. So consider carefully the stories herein. At any rate, let us begin. Prehistory, before 1496 I.C., ere its inception, the folk who would come to establish and govern Kislev were the ancient clans of the Gospodar, a powerful nomadic tribe of men native to the eastern steppes and descendants of the Scythians of old. They dwelt, drank, loved, and perished like their forebears before them, in the saddle, dwelling out their days in relative tranquillity upon the open steppes. All of this changed when the energies of chaos began to pour into the cold and harsh lands of the far north, and fell beasts and countless monsters of all sorts began to prey upon their people. The powerful Gospodars and their kindred and neighbours, the Hung and Kurgans, fought against the desire of the chaos gods, for no reasonable human being would cheerfully surrender their souls to damnation and eternal torment. In any case, such a foe could not be effortlessly battled, and after some time, one after another, the Gospodars' neighbouring clans were subdued and were subjugated into the love and administration of the ruinous powers. Though their kindred of the steppes were mighty and fierce, they could not match the firm resolution of the Gospodars to continue on in battle. And the Gospodars did fight, with unshakable faith in their own gods, and pleading for their succour against the minions of the dark gods, the grandest of the steppe people's gods, Ursun, the god of bears and strength, assisted his people in their hour of need, but even his divine brawn and martial prowess could not be enough. Gradually but inevitably, the Gospodar's plight became ever more hopeless. Then a mighty natural spirit named the ancient widow Kislev, or simply the land, murmured to a Gospodar shaman priestess, the spirit promised her great strength if she vowed to guide her people westward towards a far-off, frozen realm where the spirit was held captive by the volition of the dark gods. The shaman, frantic to help her people, readily accepted and was endowed with the archaic and supernatural power of winter itself, the magical law of ice. 
With the ancient widow's direction, the shaman speedily obtained command of her new and divine forces, and used them to procure that which she required to accomplish her vow. With her fortitude and potent sorcery, she combined the disparate Gospoda clans into a soul-unified body and set herself above them as their original Khan Queen, known from here on and evermore as Miska the Slaughterer. With her people's resolve being strong and steadfast, the great multitude of horsemen rushed o'er their waning homeland with all their might, fleeing from the darkness that threatened to devour them all. After many years of strife and sacrifice on the endless steppe, the war-hardened Gospodars finally reached the grand world's edge mountains that stood as the last barrier between them and their fate. When Khan Queen Miska crossed to the other side, she beheld a great snow-covered plain that shimmered with an ethereal and icy power. She fell to the ground overcome with emotion and wept icy tears, for at last she knew her people's deliverance was nigh. Great Conquest of Kislev 1497 IC to 1524 IC. Though the Great Spirit promised this comely snowy paradise to the Gospodars, the land had already been occupied by another people of horsefolk. The Ungols of yore had dwelt in these lands for ages, having fought and shed their own blood and that of their sons to repel the green kins that invaded the old world during the rule of Sigmar Heldenhammer. Though harmony betwixt the Ungols and Sigmar's subjects was established during the Battle of Blackfire Pass, this peace was not extended to these new colonists. Though these were potent tribes, the folk of the Ungols of Kislev, or the Udoses and Ostagoths of the Empire, could not hope to withstand the Gospodar host that spilt out of the north. Under the guidance of Khan Queen Miska, the Gospodars were potent and affluent, and possessed of an unrivalled genius in warfare. Their prowess in combat from horseback was even better than that of the Ungols. The Khan Queen was not only an adept warrior and a paragon of intrepidity, but also an adept sorcerer of unmatched might. Subsequently, the Ungols were driven back and dispersed, with the Ungols having an enduring trepidation of the dreaded Ice Queen. The Khan Queen sustained her campaign of conquest against the Ungol tribes for many years, eventually leading her host towards the ramparts and portals of the Ungol stronghold of Prague itself. Despite its might and potency, the walls of this venerable citadel were vanquished by the formidable frosty incantations of the Khan Queen's sorcery, compelling the totality of the Ungol folk westward towards their new metropolis of Norvard. Having been suddenly dispossessed of their native land, the Ungols marched towards the northwest and penetrated into the lands of the Ropsmen. All former compacts and pacts between these two peoples were annulled when Prague was overthrown, and an Ungol force led by warlord Hethischak vanquished a Ropsmen army commanded by King Wiran upon the cliffs above the Sea of Claws. With the demise of their sovereign, the Ropsmen tribes were scattered, and the Ungols appropriated their former neighbors' territories and assimilated the remains of this once powerful race. Founding, 1525-2301 I.C. Not content to abide by the lands they had earned through their victory, the Gospoda tribes began to spread their territories westward until they met with Ostland and Ostermark. 
During the age of three emperors, the men of the empire were not powerful enough to impede the progress of the Gospoda horsemen as they pressed forward into unoccupied regions. In time, much of the northern territories of Ostland were taken, until ultimately the Gospoda had to cease their journey at the edge of the Forest of Shadows. Though the territories the Gospodars laid claim to were regained by the potent strength of the imperial armies, the condition and authority of the Gospodars in the end caused the empire to ponder their claims as a kingdom in its own right. Khan Queen Miska did not live to observe the land she had commenced to form and take contour, for she vanished into the north, avowing to have beheld a vision of an appalling future, wherein she would yet again be obliged to guide her nation to deliverance. Conferring her formidable magical sword, Fearfrost, to her daughter Shoika, Miska collected her most faithful warriors and galloped north, never to be seen again. In the year 1527, I see, the Gospoda tribes, under the governance of their new Khan Queen, began to erect their grand capital city, which they called Kislev, after their own land and kingdom. As the city of her people began to be constructed, Shoika relinquished her former title of Khan Queen, and assumed the title of Tsarina, to signify her rule over the lands north of the Urskoi. Under the direction of Tsarina Shoika, the city that was to become Kislev was constructed, and the realm began to take form into the nation it is today. Having inherited the title of the new Tsarina of Kislev, the Gospodarin calendar and the institution of the nation of Kislev were established in accordance with her edict. Her first deed as Tsarina was to march onward to Novad, the ultimate resistance of Ungul against the ascendancy of Gospodar. This copious trading port on the western shore of Kislev would be the vital component in placing Kislev at the vanguard of trade with the remainder of the world, and Shweka was aware that her ambitions of a unified nation would not be achieved whilst the city remained in enemy control. Guiding her host through the plains of northern Kislev, her flock of warriors set forth on a recent mission to consolidate their hold on the northwestern regions. Less than two years after her coronation as Tsarina, Shoika and her company of horsemen eventually besieged and captured the capital city of Norvard, rechristening it Erengrad in praise of the victory. Those Ungols that survived the sanguinary siege scuttled to the north where they were harshly tracked down until finally their people had no option but to recognize the Gospoda's control over the land and blend into Gospoda culture. With this last act, the production of their novel Commonwealth was consummate, and in esteem of this, the Gospoda folk give over their past titles and assume the denomination of Kislevites, after the appellation of the territory and their chief city. Within a few years, the habitations of Prague and Erengrad were refurbished and began to augment in magnitude once more. Prague waxed affluent and puissant due to the large access of Ungols restoring to their erstwhile beautiful city to commence life afresh under Kislevite sovereignty. Erengrad endured a huge expansion in trade and affluence as the recent ports and havens that were constructed became one of the busiest merchandising hubs in the entire ancient world. From here, the Kislevites could sail the Sea of Claws, trading and battling with the Norse and the Imperials, as well as keeping the few residual Ungol tribes that declined to yield to their sway and examine, converted. 
in these days of grand wealth and joy, which endured near unto seven hundred and fifty years, the Gospodas and Ungles did become intermingled, fashioning the society we of today observe in Kislev. Whilst the Gospodas and Ungles now live in tranquil concord, a vast distinction between them still remaineth and hath formed the organization of Kislev. The ruling aristocracy from whence the Tsar and Tsarina springeth is unsurprising of Gospoda descent, yet their language and principles are more palpable in the prolific South. However, in the northern lands where the horse tribes still possess authority and the land be more barren, a revival of the olden ways of life prior to the Gospodar's arrival hath occurred. In truth, Prague hath been reacquired largely by the ancient Ungol nobility, and in numerous ways is a distinct dominion in the distant north. The Great War Against Chaos, Late 2301 IC For many ages the sons of Kislev have been slain and battled in the dry plains of the utmost north. Forage raids upon the south are much seen in a realm so near to the chaos waste, and these infinite rows of combat have simply made the people of this region stronger than those of the feeble south. After diverse periods of perpetual strife with the northern plunderers, the Tsar or Tsarina hath ordained the formation of multiple fortresses occupying the southern part of High Pass and Black Blood Pass, commonly garrisoned by many hundreds of men beneath the direction of a March boyar to keep watch for any token of an impending invasion. As the years have passed, these forays have become more dreadful and plentiful, and the clans of the Ungol have grown anxious as their hag-mothers and seers have prophesied a mighty assemblage of powerful eldritch forces from the Nymost North. The potency of the dark gods has waxed ever greater in the chaos waste over the ages, and battle drums have been beaten as the hosts of the North have collected for the vast massacre that was to come. Brutal northern gales have blown especial hard, and signs of destruction have been plentiful, indicating those with mystic vision to discern the colossal tempest that was about to engulf them all. As the years have elapsed, these incursions have become more dread and plenty, and the clans of the Ungol waxed anxious as their witches and soothsayers augured a tremendous assembling of potent diabolical forces from the far north. The puissance of the infernal gods waxed ever greater in the chaos waste through the age, and war-pipes were blown as the forces of the north assembled for the mighty slaughter that was to ensue. Bitter northern winds blew noticeably strong, and signs of destruction were ubiquitous, proclaiming unto those with magical perspicacity to descry the prodigious tempest that was coming to engulf them all. In the winter of 2301 I see Asavar Kul, a mighty chieftain of the Kurgan tribe, led a stout army of chaos warriors towards the midst of Kislev, responding to the summons of the Dark God, taking on the title of Ever-Chosen. As the tribes journeyed southwards, some named it the Great Slaughtering, the God-Calling, the Coming of the Storm, however, in the feebler southern realms, this invasion was called the Great War Against Chaos. In answer to this, a body of Kislevite and Imperial soldiers was raised and met the coming hordes just north of the city of Prague, betwixt the towns of Murmograd and Charzask. The Allied army was unfortunately encompassed and slaughtered, underestimating the extreme magnitude and multitude of Kuhl's army. Advancing at the western hillocks of the world's edge mountains, the Chaos Horde had likewise managed to after demolish a detachment of Kislevites 
defending the last working bridge on the river Lysenk, and Kuhl's forces passed the last obstacle twixt it and the city of Prague. For the spring and summer of 2301 I.C., the Chaos Army laid siege to the Ungol city of Prague, renowned as the Bastion of the North. For many months Kuhl's Chaos forces launched daring assaults upon the city's walls, yet the defenders' courage and fierceness matched that of the Northmen. The city walls stood tall and proud, and the city's defenders fiercely repelled the assaults time and again with heroic resolve and their lethal prowess with the bow. Nevertheless, it was not the sword or axe that brought about the fall of this great city, but one that the Kislevites deemed their strongest armament. In the winter of 2301 I.C., the inhabitants of Prague were subjected to the ravages of hunger, for the local farms, which had supplied the city with sustenance, had been destroyed. Though the bitter cold of winter took the lives of many Chaos warriors more than those of Kislevites' defenders, the feeble defence that the city had retained after the season's close proved inadequate to guard the walls, and at the winter's end Prague had been conquered, and the chaos hordes ran rampant in its streets. At its fall the unbridled might of chaos inundated the city, like an eternal tide of pure mutation that infects all it touches, and the bastion of the north was altered for aye. Its survivors were conjoined in bestial, unholy forms— Living figures fused into the city walls, such that it was impossible to differentiate between body and masonry. Malformed countenances watched from the walls, writhing appendages emerged from the cobblestones, and stone pillars moaned with voices that issued from erstwhile human gullets. Prague had become a living nightmare, and a dire warning of the tribulations which would befall, should the warriors of the dark gods succeed. THE PILGRIMAGE OF MAGNUS, SPRING OF 2302 I see. Ere the fall of his city, the present Tsar, Alexis Romanov, sent a supplication for succour against the Chaos Horde that were besieging his gates. The first to obey the summons was the Elector Count of Osland, whose army was after destroyed just north of the city of Prague. Notwithstanding the Elector Count of Osland, however, the other elector counts of the empire waxed fearful, deeming that all trust was lost, and that the end times had verily come. Enervated by the age of three emperors and the ceaseless floods of mysterious crop-witherings, rampant contagion and rife mutation amongst the many provinces, the empire was besieged by rebellions on all its borders, stirred up by secret chaos cults to further discompose the imperial war effort, in the expectation of gaining favour from the invaders once the empire was lost. One puissant chaos cult known as the Magi did lead the most considerable of the risings, employing their powerful Tsinch sorcerers to conjure forth demons and terrors upon the city of Nuln. Those who remained loyal to Sigmar did implore for rescue, receiving a response in the two-tailed comet that flew in the nocturnal heavens. Magnus the Pious did behold the comet, and fired by his training in the Church of Sigmar, did make use of his authority as a minor noble to rouse the people. Under Magnus's direction, Nuln was emancipated from chaos, with Magnus continuing his pilgrimage throughout the empire. A prodigious army was being assembled from the elector counts and other potentates, some swayed by Magnus's rhetoric, and others apprehensive of any refusal to aid the burgeoning force. 
It became the most extensive army ever arranged within the empire in its considerable and bloody history. The Battle of Kislev, summer of 2302. I see. In due time, Magnus arrived at the city of Middenheim, where he sought to gain audience with our Ulrich Christoph and garner his aid in the war. Sadly, Christoph denounced Magnus a mere charlatan, and so Magnus chose to make his way through the sacred flame of Ulrich. A holy site of the Church of Ulrich that could discern truth from lie and the pure from the tainted. To the astonishment of all, Magnus emerged unscathed, thus affirming the righteousness of his cause and convincing the Christoph to become a powerful ally. Accordingly, Magnus appointed him leader of his cavalry force. Likewise, through the intercession of Peter Laszlo, personal ambassador of Magnus Teclis, lawmaster of the Tower of Hoeth, and two other powerful wizards, were swayed to join Magnus's cause. Now with his forces prepared, the army marched northward. Knowing that the army was too great for them to arrive at Prague on time, Magnus commanded Krestov's cavalcade, made up of vengeful winged lancers from Kislev and knights afire with ambition, to hasten to the harried city. Day and night, the imperial and Kislevite horsemen rode to succour their northern kin, picturing the direst of calamities that would befall the people of Prague if they arrived too late. Yet, as it happened, their fears came true when the army reached the borders of the city. Prague was lost only a few short hours after the coming of the host. From afar they could hear the groans of expiring men, the screech of slaughtered women, and the tears of the children as they beheld their lives consumed in fire and carnage. The imperial army remained still and solemn on that mournful hill, shedding tears as they beheld the last Chaos army complete its brutal task. When the town fell, a band of dwarf warriors from Karaza Karak had marched without rest to Kislev's capital, wishing to assist in its defence. The latest host of Chaos had already abandoned the ruined Prague, and the Imperial cavalry destroyed their rearguard without Asavar Kul's knowledge. Meanwhile, Magnus was driving his own force to Kislev to resupply, unaware of what had befallen Prague. At his arrival in the city's confines, he found the capital assailed by the Chaos army, with a few detachments of Kislevites and a company of dwarfs, desperately trying to keep them away. Perceiving the emergency, Magnus immediately commanded his troops to attack at the foe's back. To the great astonishment of all, the Imperial army came in suddenly, and with Teclis's magical might, the chaos line started to shake. The Imperial soldiers, with a determined look, made a deep cut in the enemy's forces. It seemed like the chaos hosts were going to be vanquished when Asavar Kul assembled his bravest warriors and, with their superior numbers, surrounded Magnus's army. The relief force began to be overwhelmed by the multitude of their adversaries, and Magnus was pushed back into a defensive stance as the horde started to encircle them. From the walls of the city, the confrontation between the forces of Chaos and the Imperial Relief Army was witnessed by the Kislevite defenders. Three hundred dwarfs tried to break out of the city portals. To make their way to the Imperial Relief Force, however, they were repelled. Just half of them were able to return to the beleaguered Kislevite capital. When all hope was gone for the guarders of the city, the Imperial horsemen, 
sent to help the fallen Prague, showed themselves on the northern horizon on the Hill of Heroes, and made an attack full of hatred upon the Chaos Horde. Seeing the enemy overthrown because of the Imperial aid, Magnus egged on his men to make one last great attempt to save the city. When the forces of order had taken some power, the gates of Kislev were opened, and the Kislevites and their dwarven friends rushed out to hit the army of Chaos from another side. Betwixt three offensives on each side, the Chaos Horde anon began to break apart, and a great flight soon followed after. The countryside of the city was made foul with the gore of Northmen, as the Kislevites wreaked a terrible vengeance upon those that had brought ruin to their fair land. The remnant of the Horde made off to the north, where they were met with the stern penalties for their transgressions against their gods. Kuhl's body was never recovered, though of course rumours abound. The Red Bokar, 2302-2517 IC As the forces of Kislev vanquished the last of the northern aggressors, the destruction was beyond remedy. Kislev was laid to waste, its people slain, and its towns and cities reduced to rubble. This wretched state of affairs has endured for more than a century, with none of the Tsars possessing the strength, riches, or even the resolve to reconstruct that which their forebears had laboured so diligently to create. Taking advantage of this disarray, numerous noxious beasts took up abode in unoccupied regions of Kislev, wiping out those few hamlets that had managed to escape the initial invasion and becoming a perpetual menace to those who venture beyond the safety of the south. Verily, matters have become worse yet when the Tsarina of Kislev, Katerine the Bloody, became one of the dreaded vampires and wrought a secretive and sanguineous massacre in the city of Kislev, earning her that title. Only the aid of her own son, Tsarvich Pavel, brought an end to her tyranny. But even this new Tsar did little to alleviate the suffering of the ravaged kingdom. Not until the year 2491 IC did a true ruler of Kislev arise to aid his people in their time of distress. In the woodlands abounding in trees to the east of Kislev, beside the world's edge mountains, the then governor of Kislev, Vladimir Boka, perished fighting the goblins, that had been troubling the region since the Chaos invasion some centuries before. This Tsar was the first of his line to take up arms and secure the safety of his subjects through a methodic crusade of purges in the lands of Troll Country, the northern Oblast, and the eastern woodlands of Kislev. Vladimir's son, Boris Boka, being crowned the subsequent Tsar of Kislev upon his father's passing, was a mighty and passionate warrior. It was whispered, that he was brought into the world with the sound of the blood-heart howling on the winds above him, a powerful omen for a soldier of Kislev, and the hags and wise women had prophesied that he would fight hard and die bravely to guarantee the protection of this kingdom. Boris toiled on his father's deeds for a number of years, spending his own family's wealth to hire mercenaries to reprove the Kislevite armies, reconstructing bridges, highways and villages, and bringing in copious amounts of black powder and imperial engineers from the empire to back his battles and grand construction projects. Though it nigh bankrupted his family and sundry other noble houses withal, Tsar Boris' reign shall be for aye remembered for his hearty vigour and eagerness to reclaim the lands that had become the domains of goblins, trolls, beastmen, and sundry other wicked creatures. In his early years as Tsar, 
Boris and his army of highly trained Kislevite warriors had bested a beastmen horde in the outlands of Prague, earning Boris the title The Red, a testimony to the great destruction he wreaked upon the beastmen. The Bear of Ursen, around 2450 IC. Tsar Boris was likewise pivotal in the revival of the cult of Ursun, the primeval faith of the Gospodar folk from which had slowly been supplanted by the adoration of Ulrich, Tal, and other foreign deities. To do so, he submitted himself to the ordeal of initiation that a priest of Ursen must triumph to join the order, the taming of a feral bear. He was not perceived or heard of for eighteen days, and many dreaded he had encountered a grisly destiny in the profundities of the icy wood. Preparations were afoot for the coronation of Boris's infant daughter, Catherine, when the search parties found his unconscious body on the nineteenth day of the search. A bear of monstrous proportions guarded his still frame, and the beast would not let any come near him. The Tsar was encircled by the carcasses of more than two dozen vast wolves, and the snow was dyed red with their blood. Nothing the searchers did could move the bear from their lord or persuade it that they had no ill intentions. Ultimately, after one more day had elapsed, Boris regained consciousness, and the bear allowed the searchers to approach and attend to their ruler's hurts. Be it told, the legend of Boris's return to the city of Kislev hath since been passed down. Though scarce be there any who doubt its veracity. On the fourth day of his search, after much meandering, Boris came across the mightiest of bears he had ever seen, its teeth and claws like swords and muscles that bulged with sinews. Taking this as a omen granted by Urson, he faced the beast, and it charged him with a thunderous roar that shook the earth, and a horrifying bellow that echoed all across the wood. With his own two hands, Boris did ward off the creature's assaults, yet could not best it. The battle did last a day's time, until a vast pack of wolves, drawn by the scent of their mingled blood, did come upon them. The wolves did immediately set upon the bear, but Boris did rush to its defence, crushing the wolves' skulls with his bare fists. Boris was sore injured in the midst of the fight, and the Tsar fell to his knees and sank to the earth, clinging to life. As the monster advanced to take the life of the Tsar, the bear protected his erstwhile enemy from the common menace. It stood o'er the prostrate Tsar, rending the wolves with its claws and savaging them with its puissant jaws. Boris had fallen into a swoon, yet each time he awoke the bear was there, keeping him from the wolves. After being found, the bear returned to Kislev with the Tsar, and thenceforth, whenever Boris went out to battle, he was astride the back of his powerful companion Erskine, signifying Bear Brother, both a token of Urson's fondness for Boris, and to strike fear into the hearts of the enemy. And now, contemporary events, 2517 IC and beyond. Recently, in 2517 IC, much commotion and purging having been wrought in the northern oblast of Kislev, the once mighty Tsar was slain in battle nigh unto the bounds of Troll Country, at the head of a body of Kislevite horsemen. At a river crossing, unnamed, the Tsar rode fiercely into the Kurgan host of Hetzafedaj, but was soon compassed about and cut off from the rest of his army. He and Erskine fought with all the strength and rage of the bear god, yet even Red Boris could not prevail against such adversaries. Erskine was able to bravely withstand the onslaught of the Kurgans and transport the Tsar back to the rest of the army, yet it was already too late. 
the Tsar had suffered numerous deadly wounds. Only after the battle was won did the Tsar slide from Erskine's back and pass away on the chill, hard earth of the Kislevite oblast. The Kislevite's army was astounded, and they wailed in sorrow for his passing, while Erskine bellowed in grief throughout the night, ere he vanished into the dismal northern lands. Legend speaks that Erskine still seeks retribution upon the spawn of chaos that slew his master. With the demise of Tsar Boris, the now completely grown Katarin was established as the new Tsarina of Kislev, the newest in a long succession of governors drawn from the primeval Khan Queen of the Gospodars. She reigns with an icy grandeur, cherished by her subjects and dreaded by her adversaries. Final Thoughts Kislev is a right noble abode of excellent folk. Some may behold them as brutes, and I must confess the transparent ale they sup is loathly. Yet the Empire is fortunate to have such confederates in whatever woes may arise. Thank you for attending this lecture. To conclude, I shall say simply this. May you walk with Sigmar as it has been under the sky.'